Carol had told me we were going to do that, and I was excited to hear that song and how it would tie in what we're talking about today. Today we're in uh, Philippians chapter 3, and I want to ask the question, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Uh, This uh, series we've been working through, we've had a big reminder uh, last week about what that one thing is, that one thing that the church is supposed to be about, that the one thing that Christians are supposed to be about is the proclamation of the gospel. And with a renewed, a renewed commitment to Christ spelled out, uh, he turns now to the idea of movement, of movement. He understood, Paul did, the universal truth that all of our lives are movement. He understood that we're either making progress or we're not. We are either moving forward or we're not. Y'all with me? We're either getting closer to Jesus or we're not, okay? And maybe I think that's uh, one of the reasons why the memory verse is so poignant and fits in, especially in this part of the series. For me, for me to live is Christ and to what? To die is gay. But life is Christ. Paul understood that the entirety of a life for a Christ follower, top to bottom, front to back, everything is about Jesus and about following Jesus. I'm sure you've heard of Sir Isaac Newton's... Uh, Laws of motion, we're not going to have science class here today, I promise, um, because I, I couldn't teach it, one. But anyway, that's not what we're here for. But, but all of these laws of motion that Sir Isaac Newton wrote down, they were named after him. But can I tell you something? He didn't create them. He just identified them. You know, there's a difference between creating something and identifying it. He's the one who wrote them down. Ultimately, God's the one who decided that these are the laws of his creation. These are how things work. But I think these laws apply not merely to the physical world. They also apply to the spiritual world, to the lives we live in Christ. The first law he wrote down said this, an object at rest will stay at rest, And an object in motion will stay in motion unless acted on by an external force. Now, I think that's true in the natural world, but it's also true in the spiritual realm. And Paul is going to write a letter. He is writing a letter to a church that has not had a lot of struggles, not had a lot of issues, not had a lot of problems. However, I believe he's sitting in a town where the church was tore up and it was a mess. I think he wrote this letter from Corinth. Now, don't write that down as doctrine because that's my personal opinion, but I think that's where he was, a church that was really struggling. And he looked around and he saw the mess they were in. He says, man, I don't want the church at Philippi to have this issue because every follower of Jesus is either moving forward spiritually or not. Movement is not the question. The question is, is what's the direction? Where are you headed? This is true not only of us as individuals, it's true of us as a church. And as this movement reveals in our lives a lot about who God is, we're able to see where we're going and what we're doing and what it's about. And so the first thing I want you to notice of five, and I'll be fairly brief this morning, our movement reveals direction. Look at verse 12 with me, chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, Paul says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. 
Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God God in Christ Jesus. Now, coming on the heels of this section where he reminded us about the one thing, he talks about movement. And movement's either forward or backwards. You say, well, I'm going to sit still. That's not movement. That's a form of movement. It's a lack of movement. Even staying still is ultimately forfeiting progress. And while Paul made it perfectly clear we must never rely on anything or anyone other than Jesus, we also have to be intentional about moving somewhere. Paul understood he wasn't perfect. Paul believed, though, that God was at work in his life. And you're thinking, how was God at work in his life? He was in jail. He was in prison. He didn't know if he was going to live another day. To him, the time span wasn't important. It's the one who was leading is who was important. And in the middle of the progress in his life, he had an understanding. He had a part to play. He was an active participant in the process of spiritual development. He had a vital play part to play in moving forward. And so how he went about this was something I think we need to grasp because that's where we find our first movement as it reveals direction. Overall, the trajectory of his life, the direction, if you will, required two actions as you see them in the text. The first one was this. He had to what? Leave the past in the past. That's hard to do, isn't it? I I almost decided we'd just camp out right there the rest of the morning, but, but we're not. Because here's the reality. So many of us struggle with our past, don't we? Our past becomes an anchor. Our past becomes a limiting factor. Our past becomes what defines us. But he says, no, I've got to forget what lies behind, and I have to do what? Press on. I have to move forward because God is leading me forward. I think that's a powerful thought that we need to grasp, how a God-filled life has to be lived not in the past but in the future, in the present, heading into the future, because Paul knew I cannot stay where I'm at and stay the same. I cannot stay where I'm at and be the person God wants me to be, and neither could the church at Philippi. And friends, neither can we. We cannot stand still and at the same time make progress in Christ. You say, well, I've arrived. No, you haven't. I'm a firm believer in the essentials of the faith. You're going, what do you mean the essentials of the faith? There's a lot of things we can talk about and discuss and debate I enjoy those kind of conversations, but I got to tell you, there's only a few things that we have to really have a, a common ground on to be able to stand together in Christ and to walk together in Christ. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty comprehensive one. There's some things we must never compromise. Things like this. God is always and has always been our creator. Jesus has to be understood as having been born of a virgin. We must always be grasping that the sacrifice for sins was complete with Jesus when he was uh, on the the cross. Jesus must always be believed as risen from the dead, and Jesus must always be anticipated to be physically returning again one day. Beyond that, there's a lot we can debate and discuss. But these doctrines are not open for debate. These are the things that hold us together, that allow us to press on, because... My friends, when we allow ourselves to drag down into those, those ditches on either side of the road, we find ourselves getting a muddy mess. I cannot remain the same person and at the same time grow in Christ. I cannot stop growing while also growing. Paul said this to the Galatian church. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If we're going to reveal a godly direction, we have to do something that's very important. We've got a hold of the essentials, but we also have to crucify the old man, the man that we used to be, the woman we used to be before Christ. Because when we let the old man run our lives, what we get is an ugly scene. Direction we're moving reveals where we're headed. Our movement also reveals our devotion. Look at verses 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we've attained. Now, Paul is talking about movement, I think, in this passage. And he's talking about direction and he's talking about devotion here. And he's talking to those of us and those of those at the church at Philippi who have been committed to Christ, those who are following Jesus, those who have heard the gospel, have responded to the gospel, are following the gospel. He challenges Christ's followers at the Philippian church to show your devotion. And he tells those who are mature to, did you notice it in the text? Think this way. Isn't that an interesting phrase? He doesn't really clarify it. He says, I want you to think this way. Now, what's he talking about? I think you have to refer back to the previous part of this chapter to grasp this. That's, that's why preaching through a book sometimes is a struggle. But here's what I want you to grasp. He's talking about this idea of pressing forward, of leaving the past behind, of making sure we've got the focus on the main thing and keeping it the main thing. Because without the focus on the main thing, we find ourselves missing the calling that God has for us. In many ways, his idea is life-changing. Because he lays out for people to be devoted to God in his, uh, his ways. He says, you've got to let him take control. And then you've got to commit yourself to his way. And to leave the past and move forward. Huh. Choosing to move forward... A child of God finds God leading them and finding where he's at. And the church at Philippi needed to understand God had a better way than becoming stuck. Here's what I want you to grasp quickly. Followers of Jesus faithfully follow wherever he leads. We've had this statement once or twice already in this series, but I wanted to bring it back again because I think it's a reminder that Paul keeps telling the church at Philippi, keep on keeping on, keep on following, keep on listening, keep on going, keep on doing. And that's all moving us where? Not backwards, but forward. And it shows who we're devoted to. Let me tell you, it's a lot more comfortable to always know what's coming, isn't it? To know the next step, to know what's going to happen. But I've got to tell you something, it's far more superior to be devoted to Christ wherever he leads. You know, God loves you and me, doesn't he? And he wants the best for you and me. And his plan for his people is for us to reflect his light, to live in the light, to carry the light. And when you entered into a relationship with Christ, he moved you from darkness to light. He moved you from lost to saved. And as Jesus was nearing the end of his earthly ministry, about to face a cruel death on the cross for our sake, he said this, if anyone serves me, he must. There's that word again. It keeps coming up, doesn't it? Follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. His big idea is he's saying this, following Jesus it has a high cost, absolutely. 
I'm reminded of again of these believers in, in, in Afghanistan right now who are facing a high cost. But from an eternal perspective, what's bigger than this life? Eternity with Christ. We may not know where he's leading, but we can know who's leading. We may not know what he's going to do, but we can know what he can, who is going to do it, right? And we trust him through that. Our movement reveals direction. Our re- movement reveals devotion. Our movement then reveals our disposition. That's not a word we use much anymore uh, in our day, but uh, a disposition, when you know what it is, you go, oh, yeah, I see our disposition all the time. I got kids. You got kids? You got a wife? You got a husband? They get disposition sometimes, don't they? They have a disposition. Every one of us has a disposition. Look what he says in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Now, wait a second, Paul. Who do you think you are? Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Wow. Wow. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even in tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. The third area where we have movement, it serves to reveal, is how we live, our disposition. Now Paul does something here that I'm going to tell you I'm uncomfortable with, and I would, if I were a betting man, I would bet most of you are too. He says, uh, uh, imitate me. I'm just nobody. I'm just a preacher of the gospel. I'm just a regular old guy. I'm nobody. Why would I want anybody to follow me? Why would I want anybody to imitate me? To take on the disposition, if you will, the attitude, if you will, and the life focus of the one teaching us how to follow Jesus is his call. In our day, we have an ultra-radical independent streak whereby we reject every other example. We say, I'm only going to look at Jesus. Paul does the opposite. He says, look at me. Wow. He says, look at my life. Now, did Paul think he was all that? That he was perfect, he had arrived, and everybody needed to be like him? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, look at the trajectory of my life. He says, I know I have failings. I know I have mistakes. I know I have faults. But I also know that I'm whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep me until that day. Look at my life, he says. There were some among the church at Philippi who had heard the gospel, had received the gospel, had started on the path of the gospel as a follower of Jesus, and then they look back. Some scholars think this is evidence that he was writing from Corinth. I do, I do too. That he was looking around at the church at Corinth and going, man, this place is a mess. They're really struggling with faithfulness. And there's some over at Philippi that are too, but I want to encourage them to hang in there, not give up. He's hanging here, waiting in trial for the Roman uh, government to make their decision. He looks at the church at Corinth and goes, my goodness. So I'm going to write a warning to my friends. Don't be like this. You know, that lack of commitment is pretty common around the world. And then you read stories about Christians in a country like Afghanistan and you go, wow. And we go, well, I, I, I don't have time to go to church. I got other things to do. Wow. Whew. 
Y'all know I planned sermons about a year in advance, so there was no way that I knew that this was going to fall on this Sunday, but it did. And he's talking to them about this commitment, this disposition that says, I am his, and I'm part of, part of his kingdom, and he's part of me, and I'm walking with him, and I'm saying, I don't have it all figured out, church at Philippi, but look at me. Don't be an enemy of the cross. Don't follow after your belly. Don't, don't let glory in your shame, but follow Jesus. And do the right things. That, I think that's what we need to grasp here is what one does is greater proof of their heart than what they say. You know, somebody once said, talk is cheap. You ever heard that? You know, for a guy who talks for a living, that's very encouraging to me. But in a lot of ways, it's true, isn't it? See, I can stand up here all day and tell you God loves you. And then, by the way, that's one of my jobs. My, my job is not to get up here and be a political commentator, okay? My job is to tell you about Jesus, to remind you that you need to follow him, you need to be faithful to him, and you need to be in love with him so that he can change your life. That's my job, okay? And I could talk about it all day, but if I don't show it, my goodness, what good am I? Pizza wrote to the church at Corinth that we become like a, a cymbal or a noisy gong just banging around at that point. There has to come a place, friends, where faith becomes action and where it changes our disposition, where it changes our tendency, it changes our actions, and mere words become tangible deeds, and belief transforms to practice. I'm reminded of the word of Jesus when he said this, in the same way, let your, your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. He's not saying do your good works so you can get to heaven. He's saying because you know Jesus, do the good works. Live the life. I don't know about you, but I don't, even, I don't want to be known as the follower of Jesus who talks good words but never does good acts. Fourth, movement reveals direction, devotion, disposition. It also reveals our destination. Look what he says the believers in chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is where? Is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Man, I'm looking forward to that day. By the power of that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Now, Paul reminds the reader that this world is not their home. And I've got to tell you, he's sitting there, I think, in jail at Corinth, and the church is having lots of struggle, and the place is a madhouse. If you, if you read the history of Corinth, you go, man, it'd be like living in Vegas on steroids kind of place. I mean, it was wild. And here he's saying, look, this world is not our home. This world is not, cannot be our all in all. In a very real and literal sense, this is not where it ends. And for those who have heard and received the gospel, our citizenship is where? Not in Corinth, not in Philippi, not in the United States. It's in heaven. You say, well, you don't love your country. Oh, I love my country. I tear up just looking at the flag, Okay. We can't, I can't even hardly sing the crazy song we're supposed to sing with it because I, st I start to cry. I love our country. But it has to pale in comparison to my love for who? For Christ and his kingdom and being a citizen of heaven and being part of it. This world is not our home, Paul says. The, 
yeah, you lived as a Roman colony. The Philippians were wealthy and, and did well. The amazing truth was this old world was nothing but a temporary home. Keep moving forward. Don't give up. The physical existence will be made new. Your heart issues, your weight issues, your mental issues, your blood pressure issues, all that stuff will be changed someday. He'll take us home. Leads me to this thought. Following Jesus leads us through a radical transformation from old to new. You know, when you met Jesus, or for some of you, when you meet Jesus, he begins a work in you and he completes it when? At the end of your life. You go, well, I I wish he'd finish it now. Well, the only way he's going to finish it now is if he takes you home. So you, you good with that? It's a process. The completion of his work will not be in this world. Rather, it happens when he delivers you from this world to his very presence, back to your citizenship. It's there that the promise of new life is made complete. It's there the destination is made whole. Let me remind you, when you met Jesus, you were given a new direction, a new devotion, a new disposition, but you also got a new what? Destination. You're no longer headed for hell. You're headed for heaven. And he began to work in you, transforming you from what you were to what he wants you to become. I'm reminded of Paul's words to the church at Corinth when he kind of was apologizing for his harsh first letter. He wrote a second letter, and in it he said this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friend, when you met Jesus, he made you into a new creation. He made Uh, The process of changing everything in your life began and you became new. And your new destination means you have a new hope. Finally. You're going, why is he in chapter 4 now? Did you know the chapter numbers and verse numbers didn't get added until about the 1500s? Before that, it was just a letter. And they did the best they could cutting the letters into chapters so we could find things. Otherwise, I would say, you know that verse in that letter called Philippi, where he says, therefore, my brothers, y'all turn to that. And you'd go, huh? He gave us a dress to find it. I think verse 1 goes with the previous text. I could be wrong. Won't be the first time. And I guarantee you it won't be the last. But I think the thought here ties into this because he talks about and kind of brings a summary to what he's been talking about. And I think it's one we need to hear. Our movement then reveals our dedication. Who are we dedicated to? He says, therefore, you know what I'm saying about therefore is, don't you? Stop and ask the question, what's it there for? Why did he all of a sudden say therefore? He's trying, he's trying to get our attention. He says, therefore, my brothers, and ladies, that implies all of us. Don't be feel excluded there. It's brethren, beloved. My brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand Thus in the Lord, my beloved. He brings a word of encouragement. He says, man, you, you got movement. You've got direction. you got devotion. you got disposition that's headed the right way. you got a destination that's worth having. You need to, stay, you need to stay dedicated. Have a dedication. Let me paraphrase this verse for you. Hang in there. Don't give up. Any of you ever want to hang, up, want to hang it up? Any of you want to quit? You want to give up? Been there. 
too, too honest for you? Your pastor wants to give up? Yeah, some days I just want to give up. Some days I don't want to come to church. What? Yeah, I don't want to listen to the guy talk for 30 minutes. It's awful. <clears throat> come on, y'all. Remember, Paul's living as a prisoner. His readers were living in the world hostile to the ways of God. This world wasn't their home. So where are they headed? And while the church at Philippi didn't seem to have a lot of struggles, they did know churches that had problems and did have trials and did have struggles and people who weren't remaining faithful. And so that church had a decision to make. Those individuals had a decision to make. What was it? They can either say, I'm going to be fully dedicated to Christ or I'm not. Would they keep the main thing the main thing? Would they let their petty differences divide them? Would they let their focus on the gospel and the essentials of the faith happen, or would they fall to pieces? And Paul's desire for them was this, stay the course. Hang in there. Hang in there. Stand firm in the Lord. And this brings me to my last big thought for the message. Seek to keep Jesus central in everything you do. We will not find salvation by what we do. Hear me. Salvation is found in Christ alone, faith in Christ alone. However, our status in Christ, our dedication to Christ, our commitment to Christ is shown by how we live, by what we do how we bear his cross. I'm not talking about a piece of jewelry around your neck, but a metaphorical cross that we take up daily as we seek to live for Christ. You see, no matter what your career in life, the roles you fill, the activities you do, what we do with Jesus ultimately matters more than anything else. (laughs) I'm reminded of the conversation between Jesus and the lawyer. You said, Jesus talked to a lawyer? Jesus didn't have a lawyer. He talked to a lawyer. It's over in Matthew chapter 22. And, and the, the lawyer asked a great question. He says, he says, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, here it is. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first one. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So where does it start? My loving God with all your heart. How do you do that? One, you've got to come to a place where you trust Christ with your salvation. You say, Jesus, I'm going to give my life to you. I want to trust you. You go, how do I do that? It's not difficult. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe that he's the son of God and you confess faith in Christ. Simple. And then you begin to live that out. You know, the last three or four years... Your staff has been sharing this thought again and again and again. We want to be a church that does what? Loves God and loves people. There are a lot of hurting folks in our community, guys. There are a lot of people in this neighbor in our in our, our community, our town, our, our extended community that are hurting. I don't know about you, but the last year and a half has been tough, hasn't it? They just need people to love them. So let's love God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And then let's love our neighbors as ourselves. Maybe you're here today and you want to trust him. We want to give you that opportunity. I'll be here at the front. Harold will be singing a song. Make sure you've got it nailed down with him.
Because the end is coming. Don't know when. Have you answered the call to love God so that you can love people? Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we do thank you for this day that you've given us to gather together, to look at your word and to let it speak to us. Father, words are cheap. But what we do matters. I pray for those in this room who are struggling with all the stuff that they're going through in life. I pray that you'd give them your peace and your comfort and your presence. And I pray for those, Lord, who need to make some type of decision for you, whether it's a public one or a private one, that says, I'm going to love you first so that I can love the people around me best. We pray your hand on these moments in Jesus' name.